Gracious God, we thank you for each grown-up here. We thank you for each kid. We thank you that this morning we are hungry to hear from you and to hear from your word. And as Ken just read your word, read from your scriptures, now we pray that your word would find its way into each of our hearts. As you've found a way to bring it to my heart this week, bring it to the hearts of these friends, these folks who've gathered here this morning to hear from you. May the words of my mouth and the things that we consider in our hearts be pleasing in, our, in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, welcome again, everybody. It's great to see all of you here. Thank you for uh, putting up with a little bit of the electrical issues that we are having. I don't think there'll be a fire, so that's good. Um, parents, if you need room for your kids to run around, we've got the whole back area over there. Please feel free to use that as you need. It's not weird to get up and take your kids back there. That's kind of our corral today, so use it as you see fit. Uh, I want to talk about victory. The term victory is an interesting term. If you were to name something from 2017 that felt like a victory for you, what, what would it be? Maybe you, you're a student and you worked really, really hard studying for a test. Maybe your victory was you got a good grade. That's a really great one. Maybe you launched a new business and it just took off, like beyond the success you could have imagined. You had to hire more people. It was really, really great. Maybe it's something less like a win, like something that just felt really good when it happened. Uh, my family welcomed a new baby in March, uh, Amelia. She's in the back over there. That was pretty cool. That was a pretty amazing feeling to be in the room when new life comes in again. Some of you know how that feels. As a church, we had some pretty cool moments together. We had a family Sunday where we all worshiped together. We had brunch together. I thought that was really powerful, really fun. And of course, being a baseball fan, my favorite victory of the entire year came on November 1st when the Astros won their first ever World Series championship. My hometown team brought home the trophy. That was a pretty cool victory. I mentioned victory today because the title of our sermon is Victory in Christ. And that's what I want us to be thinking about as we try to step well into the new year together. The thing that I want to say about victory in Christ that starts us off is it, it isn't like we think it's supposed to be. That's kind of what I've come to as I've studied and reflected on it this week. Why did I pick that theme? What do we mean when we say victory in Christ? Here's what I mean by that. And here's what we're going to kind of chase as we spend our time together this morning. And this is true for grown-ups. This is true for kids. When we recognize that Jesus has done all the work for us, that he has won not just the battle but the war, we are free. We are freed up. We are given the gift of his courage because of his victory. Victory is the thing that Jesus did on the cross. It's the thing that he accomplished for people who come to him and accept him. That's, that's the victory that he provides. But then the victory that we get to live into is this freedom and courage. One of the things I learned about myself in 2017 is I struggle with courage. I struggle to be courageous as a leader. I struggle to be courageous in the midst of conflict. I tend to kind of back down and sort of protect mode. A lot of what I've learned about myself is that I value people's approval of me way too much. And that's why I sometimes fail to be as courageous as I could be. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you're like beyond courageous. Maybe courage isn't your problem. Maybe it's properly aiming your courage at the right target. However we come at courage today, I want that to be one of our themes because I do want us to start off 2018 as a church encouraged together. And all that word encourage means is to put courage in to someone else. To kind of, if you could pour courage out like a cup of water onto someone next to you and fill them up with courage. If you could fill your kids up with courage. If you could fill your neighbors up with courage, what would that look like? 
we're going to talk about today, there's going to be four different questions we're going to try to answer as we look at this letter from John. So the first question is, what did John hope for when he hoped for victory in Christ? What did he hope for? The second question is, what, did, what is Jesus' victory like? Like, what does it feel like? What does it look like? The third question is, what did the New Testament church do to bring victory in Christ? And the final question, of course, is what can we do? What can we do? And the thesis goes like this. Victory in Christ happens through sacrifice. And we all cringe a little bit when we hear that word sacrifice, don't we? Victory in Christ happens through sacrifice. And we'll explain what that means as we go on in our time together this morning. So Ken read for us from 1 John. I want to read to us from the message, paraphrase. Anybody like the message? I love using the message sometimes. If I'm reading something from the Bible and it's just kind of going over my head, if I read the message, it's like a breath of fresh air. It's like, okay, now I get it. Here's what the message restates the last two verses of the passage Ken read for us as. Listen to this. Every God-begotten person conquers the world's ways. Conquers the world's ways. We're going to come back to that phrase again and again. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. I want to park us on that phrase, conquers the world's ways. You can write that down if you want to. Conquers the world's ways. The scripture says, every God-begotten person conquers the world's ways. What I think that means is that anybody who has faith in Jesus Christ, even a little faith, even the tiniest mustard seed, you're a brand new Christian, or you're still kind of kicking the tires on it, you have the opportunity to see something in your life that you cannot attribute to your own success. That you cannot say like, well, I'm really glad I worked hard on that. You have to be able to point to the success that comes through Jesus. And John demonstrates that for us in this letter. And I want to explain that for just a little bit. One of the biggest themes in John's three letters, most scholars believe he also wrote the Gospel of John and Revelation, is this word conquers or victory. It's Nikeo in the Greek, which is where the company Nike got its name, victory. He uses the word five times in this really short book in 1 John, so it's a big deal to him. Why would it be such a big deal to him? John was writing this letter around AD 90, we think, so about a generation or two after Jesus had lived and died and been resurrected. And he wrote it so that it would be given to people all throughout the church, all throughout the world. It was an encyclical, if you've heard that term before. It was something that was meant to be read and shared and given to somebody else and passed along, kind of like how we forward interesting email chains to one another. And a big goal for John's letter was to help address something that was happening in the church at the time that was potentially deadly. And that was this controversy, this theological split called Gnosticism. And I'm not going to go into Gnosticism because honestly it makes our eyes glaze over. Like, it's New Year's Eve, let's, let's think about something else. But Gnosticism was the first major controversy in the church that threatened to split the church apart. And it was over, is Jesus fully God and fully human? And what does it mean to be spiritual? And the physical world, is it good or bad? It was all kinds of esoteric things, and people were really at odds about it. John hoped that his letter would conquer false belief. He hoped that this letter that he was writing would help put down this rise of false beliefs and point people toward the truth. That's a pretty courageous goal. If you're a leader, you care about the people around you believing the right things. You don't just go, you know, whatever you want to believe, whatever your theory is, your theology is, that's okay as long as we get the job done. No, you want to define reality for the people who you're leading. 
You want to be able to say to them, like, hey, this is acceptable and this isn't, and I'm here to help you be held accountable to these standards. It was a courageous goal for John to take on. And I think this is as good a time as any to ask ourselves, what's a courageous goal for us, for you, for me, in 2018? Is it to be a better student? Is it to be kinder to your children? Is it to try to find a way to reach out to your neighbors that maybe makes you a little uncomfortable, like inviting them over to dinner and I don't know what to feed them and do they even like hanging out? I don't know. What could be a courageous goal for 2018? So John wanted people reading his letter to believe that they could have victory, that they could be free from false belief and live in the truth. So what was the victory he was pointing them toward? Like what was, if he's like, no, don't go this way, go this way. What was this way? This way is not what we might think. Because as we talked about in our thesis statement, victory in Christ is not what we think it is. It comes through sacrifice. It comes through sacrifice. Now, here's a reason I don't like the word sacrifice, that it kind of rubs me the wrong way. I like my patterns. I like my routines. I like what I kind of get myself into. I know I'm going to do this at this time, and I'm going to walk my kids to school here, and I might stop by the grocery store here. Like, I like those things. To me, sacrifice implies I got to do something different. And I'm like, oh, man, really? Do I have to change things up? Isn't that going to take more energy? Isn't that going to take more time? Isn't that going to take? No. Not in the kingdom of God. Not in God's economy. Sacrifice means we're stepping that much closer to the thing that God desires for us. Because it isn't the thing that we naturally gravitate toward to, at least not yet. How did Jesus do what this passage describes? How did Jesus conquer the world's ways? Let's go back to that phrase again. He did it through sacrifice. Now, if you've been around church, if you've been familiar with the Christian gospel at all, you know that the biggest sacrifice, the sacrifice that reoriented history was the cross. And this instrument that the Roman Empire thought always stood for power, always stood for their might, nobody would ever beat back the cross, then became the symbol of Jesus' ultimate victory. Because the cross couldn't hold him, the grave couldn't keep him back, And the resurrection power that is available to you and to me now and in 2018 was what carried him off of that cross and into glory. And his people can step into that too. Jesus conquered sin and death through the sacrifice of the cross. That's the hope of the gospel. And what that brings to us is a victory that can't be taken away so that we can live with a freedom that we could never imagine. The cross is the irrevocable victory that delivers incredible freedom. There's a more intimate moment, though, before the cross, and that's what I want to highlight in this really brief section. When Jesus' victory was being put together in him, kind of being galvanized in him, it was a moment of sacrifice. And you can read about this moment in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22. I'm talking about the moment when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's wrestling in prayer, and he's staying up all night long because he has to do something that requires courage. He has to face a situation that he knows about, that he understands why he has to go do it. There's no ambiguity around that. There's no lack of alignment around that. But he still had to get there. He still had to show up for that moment. And so in the garden, the Lord of all creation shows us that he doesn't just snap his fingers and call upon courage on demand. That like us, because he's human, he's fully God and he's fully human, he has to get to courage. He has to wrestle with it until it lands in his life in a way that made sense to him. So Jesus is staying up all night. He's praying. He's wrestling with God. His disciples are with him, but they're not really. They're kind of fading in and out. And he's hurting. Like you read through these narratives, and I'd encourage you to do so. And it's painful what Jesus is going through. 
And the question we always ask ourselves when we're in the midst of a painful situation, at least this is what I do, if I'm in the middle of something painful, I go, oh, did I do something wrong? Did I mess up? Is this on me somehow? And friends, you don't have to think about it that way. I'm going to try to not think about it that way as I move into 2018 because that puts me in the driver's seat in a way that doesn't make any sense at all. Just because you are facing pain in your life right now, just because <laughs> since we've most of us been off this past week and now you're looking at re-entry into work and into parenting and all this other stuff, and that thing is coming up again, whether it's that relationship at work that's broken, whether it's a family member that you're struggling with, whether it's a student that you sit next to at school where you go, oh my gosh, I wish I never had to see that person again. It is not necessarily because you've been doing something wrong. It may be. But it is not necessarily your fault that you're in the midst of that broken situation. And what is God trying to teach you in the midst of that? If we let ourselves off the hook for being responsible for all these things and instead just take what God is doing in our midst, what could we learn? What could we grow? What could be changed as a result of that? Jesus was absolutely on the track that God had for him. No question. 100% where God wanted him to be, wanted him to be and he was in agony. He was in agony. And if you are in that place, if you're here this morning and you've you know, gotten dressed up and you've brushed your teeth and you've come here and the agony is just right under the surface, do you know who understands that? Do you know who gets your agony? Do you know who gets your anxiety? Do you know who gets your fear about 2018? It's the Lord. He is not immune to it. He is not so distant from it that he can't understand it. He gets it. Because he lived with us and one of us. And this is the great news of the Garden of Gethsemane. As much wrestling as Jesus did, as much as there was sweat and blood, and I mean, try to imagine just what your body goes through and you're going through so much stress and fear and pain, and then it ends. And if you're in one of those places right now where you feel like you're in agony and you're wrestling over something and you wish I would shut up about all this kind of stuff because you don't want to think about it anymore, hear this, the wrestling will end. This too shall pass. In Matthew 26, Jesus says these incredible words, Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Maybe the most courageous words ever spoken by a human being. But someone who is far more than human had to speak it. And those are words we can say. God, I don't want to do this, but if this is your will, let me do it your way. Let me do it with your courage. Let me do it with your power, informing it as I step into it. So that's Jesus' victory. That's what he achieved for us, this sacrifice, this wrestling. And you know what he achieved? You know what had to die so he could do that? He had to kill a night of sleep, like that's for sure. The guy did not sleep that whole night in the garden. But one thing that is hugely beneficial to those of us who follow Jesus Christ and who live in a time like that we live in, where there are so many who look at our beliefs and go, oh, that's nice, that's sweet, what a nice feeling for you. We can say to them, no, 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 no. The Lord that we follow understands pain and he understands what it is to wrestle with God and he understands the turmoil that real people go through and my faith helps me make sense of the world around me because the Lord that I serve showed me a pathway through suffering that I could never have imagined because he went through it and that's not a nice idea that's the truth and in another church somebody would have said amen (laughs) amen he sacrificed the idea that his life was somehow effortless That's not the Lord that we follow. That is a made-up Jesus. The real Jesus didn't do things effortlessly. He did it at great cost, but he did it for us. 
He did it for those who call upon his name. That's an incredible gift. That is victory in Jesus Christ that comes through sacrifice. So how did that translate into this early church that we're talking about? Let's go back to the text again. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. Simple belief. Okay, can it really be that simple? Is it actually that clear-cut? I would argue yes, and I would argue that history gives us a clear example. This is really interesting. So John is writing this letter around AD 90, right? Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, kind of in 81 through 30-ish, as far as we know. And in the time between Jesus' resurrection and when John's writing this letter, the church has started to spread. People have come to faith in Jesus Christ. They've raised their kids like you guys are doing. They've raised their kids in the faith. These people start to walk forward in their faith. We're kind of in the second generation of Christendom right now. It's an amazing movement. It's spreading throughout the empire. People are starting to hear about Jesus. And you know how they're hearing about Jesus? They're hearing about Jesus because the people who love Jesus are looking at the most vulnerable poor, downtrodden, sickly people in their communities, and they're saying, let's go take care of them. Historians all throughout Christian history and non-Christian history have said, you know what the early church did? They went to the most vulnerable people and they said, you deserve better. Let's take care of you. Let's find you food. Let's find you clothing. Let's find you shelter. That was happening all throughout the Roman Empire. So then we're at AD 90. This controversy starts to happen. And scholars believe that sometime around AD 96 to 98, barely a decade later, this Roman emperor comes to power named Nerva, N-E-R-V-A. And he's this kind of wise guy that has been around the Roman Empire a long time. And what he brought were some major reforms, major changes to the empire. A lot of them had to do with graft and corruption, trying to figure out you know, how to make this thing work again. But this is so fascinating. One of the things that Emperor Nerva did is he ended the Roman Empire's official policy of persecution against Christians. He said, we're done with that. Now, we don't know a lot about why he said that. We don't really have many clues as to what convicted him around that. But think about it. Not even 70 years after Jesus' life, and the most powerful force the world had ever seen, the most powerful army, the most powerful government, says, you know what? We're going to take away our swords. We are no longer going to prosecute people for being Christians. We are no longer going to try to keep this faith that doesn't jive with the faith of the Roman Empire, that won't worship other gods, that won't do the stuff that we want you to do. You guys are okay to keep doing that. That's, incre- that's impossible. There is no way that amount of change could have happened across as big a system as the Roman Empire, as many places as they touch, with their track record of cruelty. Why in the world would they end official persecution of Christians? My theory is that they started to see people living out the gospel. And that guys like Nerva and people around him said, you know what? This isn't a faith that we need to shut down. These people aren't destroying our culture. They're doing something different. They're bringing renewal. And don't you think when the word got to the early church that the Roman Empire said, we're not going to persecute you guys anymore. You're no longer going to be thrown in jail for your beliefs. What do you think they did? I hope they threw a party. Like, I hope they celebrated, like, big time. Like, wow, we can go out and proclaim our faith, and it's not going to end us up in jail. Friends, that could happen now. Could it not? Those same words from from 1 John that inspired that group of people in the church to go out and to declare victory, to conquer sin and death, to do all these things that Jesus did, those are the same words we read just a moment ago. 
Isn't there something that we could be doing? Isn't there some kind of inspiration that could land in our lives so that we serve the courageous desires of Jesus in 2018 and beyond? I think so. I think it's there. I don't know what it is yet, but I think it's there. And I'll ask the question again. If you're going to do something courageous in 2018, and like me, you struggle with courage, what could that be? And if you don't struggle with courage, but you want to aim it at something, could you aim it at something that Jesus loves? Could you aim it at a group of people that he cares deeply about, who are marginalized, who've been left behind? How could the courage of this little community of people go out and change the world like the Roman Empire changed and was no longer persecuting people of faith? That's incredible. So, victory in Christ comes through sacrifice. Jesus' victory, sacrifice on the cross, that then comes to us and gives us courage. And the people of God are called to pick up that courage and work for change, no matter how big the obstacles are in front of us. And I want to go back to that phrase one more time. Every God-begotten person conquers the world's ways. Let's change something in that statement. Conquers the world's ways. What if we said, conquers our mediocre visions for our lives? What if we said that Jesus wants us to have a vision for our lives that is a grander vision than we have right now? What if for you and me, the three-car garage in the suburbs, which is nice, that's not it? What if there's a grander vision? What if it's not just getting my kid into the most competitive school? What if it's not just the next rung or the next ladder at work? What if the mediocrity of those visions, even though they're good, should drive us into visions of courage? and power. I want to describe four really quick visions for our community. And I just want to hold out that one of these might land in your life as they've landed in my life. And there are three areas of victory. Victory over despair, victory over loneliness, victory over injustice, and victory over selfishness. Any of those things resonate with you? I think they all do for me at a level. Victory over despair. That's what happens when we get together and worship. We achieve victory over despair, over thinking like, man, the world is so broken. This is so messed up. How is this ever going to be made right? Well, come here and be a part of our worship. Be a part of the awe and wonder that God creates through lights and through song and through gifted artists like Bree and her team. Come and be a part of worship and push back against despair. Be reminded that there is a kingdom coming and there is a will being done through God that we cannot get in the way of. If you are in town, we want you to be here. We talk about this in our membership class, but if you're in town, we hope and pray that you will make being a part of worship a priority, that you'll be here. Yeah, it's hard, and yeah, people come dragging in late, and it's all right. Coffee will still be hot. There'll still be people there ready to receive your kids and love them and care for them. If you're in town on Sunday, be here in 2018. And make it personal. Start thinking, maybe start praying, who am I looking forward to seeing on Sunday? I love thinking about that for you guys. And obviously, I have a position where I know more of you guys. But I love thinking about like, oh gosh, I'd love to check in with this person about their new job. Or I'd love to ask this family about how the new baby's doing or anything like that. That's victory over despair. Victory over loneliness, guess how we address that? Through community, through being with one another, through growing together, in our case, in groups. If you're not already part of a small group, step into that. About 60 of us are already a part of a small group, which is pretty amazing, but I want it to be everybody. 
I want everybody to have an opportunity to sit at table with someone else and to share their life and to be transparent and to say, you know what, this wasn't a great week. Love it if you would pray for me. Or to celebrate with each other, to celebrate victories together and say, yeah, that's awesome. I'm so glad that you stepped into that. Push back against the loneliness that is so pervasive in our time and in our culture by sacrificing your dinner table, your home, your easy schedule. Make it inconvenient because that is where you're going to encounter the transformation that comes when we actually love each other. And loving each other is messy. But it's how we push back against loneliness. It's how we experience victory over loneliness. And I just want to plant a seed that a group of us, the leaders of this church, are dreaming about the possibility that we could be a church that has something, some kind of ministry to older elementary kids, tweens, middle schoolers. We're going to get there, not in a very long time. And we want to be able to serve those kids. We want to be able to give them a place where they become lifelong disciples of Christ. And if you want to be a part of that, we're going to start forming a prayer group soon. I'd love for you to join me in that. I think it's going to be amazing. That's one of our dreams for how we achieve victory over loneliness, by embracing community. Victory over injustice, that happens through acts of grace and mercy. A lot of you are already so good at this, but find ways in the year ahead to identify the thing that you see in the world that is so broken and go, no, I'm not going to stand for that and my church isn't going to stand for that and we're going to do something about it. We've started to do something about hunger in our schools by partnering with pantry packs. We've started to have some pretty in-depth conversations around race and racial justice, our partnership with Paradise Baptist Church. Get into these things. And if you don't know where to start, come talk to me. We've got some really great opportunities ahead so that we can see victory over injustice. And finally, victory over selfishness. Who doesn't want to be free from that? <laughs> victory over selfishness happens when we're generous. We talk about that when we do the offering every week here. This is our opportunity to be free from selfishness. This is our opportunity to say, my stuff isn't my stuff. This belongs to God. God, take it and use it for your purposes. Use it for your glory. And I'm so grateful that so many of us do give. And we give generously, and it's wonderful. And if you give already, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. And if you don't yet give, I want to encourage you that in 2018, you can start it up. And there are easy ways to start giving regularly, start contributing to the mission and ministry of God's church. Victory in Christ comes through sacrifice. Do you want 2018 to be a year of courage? Do you want it to be a year of victory? Start thinking about sacrifice. I've been convicted lately about this passage from the book of James. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. I take that to heart whenever I don't feel courageous. And then I ask God for courage. I take that to heart when I see someone that I love struggling and they're in the midst of the pain of an addiction or something like that. God, bring them the freedom that you want for them. You do not have because you do not ask. <clears throat> Where would God call you to courage in 2018? We know that this is going to involve sacrifice. And in just a little while, we are going to invite you to turn your chairs, face one another. Kids can be a part of this too. And we're just going to pray together in little groups, four or five people, for courage. And you can pray for courage for yourself. You can pray for courage for something that you care a lot about. You can pray for courage for a leader. We're going to get together and this room is going to be turned into a place that is calling out to God for courage. And if you want to be a part of that, I want to invite you to step into that 
after we sing our next song. So I'm going to invite Bree to come join me up here. And I'm going to pray for us. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, there's never been a time where the people of God didn't need courage. And courage is something that Jesus showed us in the most powerful way possible on the cross and the life that he led. And for many of us, courage feels like it's just right there and we got it. And for others, it feels really far away. And so for kids, for grown-ups, for everybody in this room, plant those seeds in us that show us where you want us to be courageous. Where would you want to direct our courage in 2018? And maybe we can see some victory over loneliness in our lives. Maybe we can see some victory over injustice. But wherever it is and wherever you're calling us, Lord, we pray that as we sing these words together, as we unite our voices, as we look at a time of prayer in just a moment, would you galvanize us as you did with your son in the garden for your purposes, your will be done, your kingdom come. We ask these things in the name of Christ.